Sometimes um, songs like the last one that we've just been singing is, is really good because it, it, re, it affirms and confirms things that I hope that you utterly believe in your heart that affect your lives. And the section that we're going to look at today in the uh, book of John, uh, 1 John, is, is chapter, 12, chapter 2, verses 12 to 27. The last section is about something called Antichrist, which we're going to think about. And it's denying, basically, without going into it too much yet, it's denying that Jesus Christ is God. And one of the things that we've just sung is, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. And it is absolutely fundamental, because if you look at this world in which you live, the acid test that I apply to all religions uh, and faiths and things like that is, what do they think of Jesus? Have they put him as God, or is he less than God? Because if he's less than God, then I don't really want to know about them. I want to maybe find out about them in one sense to be intelligent, but I don't want to know or believe in them, because if they put Jesus as anything less than God, then I question the truth of that. And that's the world in which we live. And you need to do these things all the time, because we can so easily slip into the language of, faiths and this and that and, and you know suddenly we're saying well Christianity is just one faith that's on a par with other faiths now from a worldview, that's how people look at it but for me as a Christian that's not how I look at it that I look at Christianity and I see that there in Christianity Jesus is acknowledged as the son of God he is given that rightful title that he deserves because of who he is that he is divine he's human but he's divine and it's one of those key things that we're going to think about today. So we've got, some tough, we've got some tough bits to look at today, I'm afraid. We've got three sections to look at today. We're going to look at the idea of living in the world. First of all, from a family point of view, it talks about children, it talks about fathers, it talks about young men, and I've slipped into the message, and it, it's got the word for fathers, veterans, and I like that. We're just going to talk a little bit about that. The main thrust of what I want to look at is the, is the central two verses, verses 15 to 17, that talks about... If you were to read the authorised version, it would be the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The NIV and ESV uses the terms the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh and the desires of possessions, which isn't a bad rendition of it. So, you know, we're going to be looking at that. We need to look at that and we're going to go right back into the book of Genesis because there's patterns that are going to repeat. What you and I are battling through now as Christians is nothing new. It goes right back to this conflict between God and the devil, right back in creation. And it's, going to go for, and it's going to go back a little bit further. We're going to look at Jesus, the fact that he, who is the author and finisher of our faith, he who is the example, the one that we should be looking unto, the one that we should be following, he's gone through exactly the same process as God is asking you to go through as well. And we're going to look at that. And, and then we're going to sort of wrap that section up. And then, as I said, last of all, we're going to look at the bit that I spoke about first. That makes any sense to you. So we've got, I, 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 I make no apologies in one sense, there's quite a lot of scriptures. And I think, sometimes, you know, I think the scripture, it, it, you, please don't forget, it's God's word. And it's powerful. You see, for me, God's word isn't just an optional thing that I can read like a book, it is authoritative. I don't have any options with God's word about picking and choosing. If it's God's word, it has authority, it has power, because it's God-breathed, it's from God, and therefore I have to listen to it, and hopefully, as well as I'm able, in God's grace, obey it. So there's something about the word of God that is powerful, and so I'd 
we'll read it together. I'll read it out loud and I'd like you to follow it as we look at the passage. And then we're just going to have the verses and some pictures to talk through the various bits. And so hopefully the, the slides will keep me on track. So we're going to start reading it through now together. I'll, I'll read it and you just follow it through with me. I think this is from the ESV, if I remember correctly. But have a look in your version and, and, and if you want to follow it, see how it goes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and, the, and pride in possessions is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are all, are, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made, us, he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you, uh, to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. I know that God will bless the reading of his word to us all as we... I've looked at the scriptures and I just pray that they'll go down into your heart because that's where I want them to go. Now, this is uh, the paraphrase from the message and I've got the pictures of children, of veterans, of young men and of fathers because that's the language that he's using as John's writing. We've been looking at God, we've been looking at the love of God, we've been looking at the reality of the fact that we ought to love God and that God ought to affect and challenge our lives, that we ought to show that love outward in terms of community and all the things that David's been talking to us about over the last two weeks. So we've got that, those two slices of well-buttered bread that David did for us, but there's a, there's a rather tricky bit in the middle that we've just got to work our way through that we need to understand. Remember that we've been, David's been teaching this and we've been looking at the fact that John just keeps going round and round certain key themes, primarily very simply, love. And as he looks at these things from these different viewpoints, so we get different perspectives. And here's a classic section. It's like two circles around the same little bit of subject. They, so here he is, he's saying, 
I remind you, dear children, that your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. You veterans were in on the ground floor, and you know the one who started all this, you newcomers have won a big victory over the evil one. So he's, he's saying, look, there's a battle that's been going on. Some of you are new believers. You're, if you like, in that sense, you're, you're like children. But some of you that were there at the beginning, you could think of those that were saved in the early days when the, when the gospel went out in the book of the Acts, when 3,000 were saved at one time and the church was formed and God was right in the centre with signs and miracles and then the church slowly expanded outward as the message of the gospel went out. Some of those people were there in those early days. Some of those peoples were there in the days when things got difficult, when Stephen was stoned, when things were going hard, when there was real... Um, real bloodshed and, and, and there was a war of attrition going on and it was really difficult. And some of those people remember those things and they've gone through it and they've experienced in their lives the reality of having to stand up to the point where it may cost them their lives to acknowledge and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for them, that they are Christians, Christ ones. And so John is just reminding these various groups, whether they're children or whether they're veterans, that, you know, you've won a big victory, these newcomers, you've won a big victory over the evil one. But the problem is this, is that, you know, it's like sometimes you might say, oh, great, we've, we've had a, not a tremendous, but a battle's been won, but there's still a war, okay? So in the big scheme of things, there's a war going on, and we're in the thick of it as, as soldiers for Christ, and sometimes we win a battle, and you know, after a battle you go, phew, that was good, we managed to get through that one. The church has come through a difficult time, my individual life's got through a difficult time, and we just relax down a little bit. And sometimes if we're not careful, we just rest our guard a little bit, and we just forget and become, you know, oh great, we just had a great victory, that's tremendous. And then sometimes that's when the devil attacks and comes in. You know, whenever there's a good work going on for God, there's a devil that doesn't want to see that work come to fruition, doesn't want to see it fruitful, doesn't want to see it blessed. And, and I'm sure you've noticed, and we've seen it in our church, in our lives, that when things are going well, when, when, when things are going well for God and he's being honoured and people are being saved and people are being baptised and going on and our lives are going well, there's always an attack because it's a war, not a battle. And so he's just reminding those, those young men, look, you're strong, you've just had a great victory, but... Like the vets, remember, it's a long process. You've got to keep going on. You've got to keep going on. And then it says, a second reminder, dear children, you know the father from personal experience. You veterans know the one who started it all. And you newcomers, such vitality and strength. God's word is so steady in you. Your fellowship with God enables you to gain a victory over evil. So all these different people at all their stages in their Christian walk all need to keep fixing their eyes upon Jesus. Keep remembering these fundamental truths that they've been taught that they know. You know, I, I think I say it every time I, I stand up here and preach, teach, is that one thing I would ask you to do is you need to keep putting the Word of God into your heart and into your mind. And one of the ways that you do that is read it. You know, sometimes we read a book and you think, oh, great, I enjoy that. And occasionally you might dip back into it. You know, I, I think I read The Lord of the Rings about 15 times over a period of a number of years because I, I just kept enjoying it so much and, and everything. But the Scriptures, because it's the living Word, the authoritative Word of God, we need to keep it going into our mind and down into our hearts. We need to be flooded. We need to be overwhelmed by the Word of God. We need 
these things so that God, the Holy Spirit, he can do his work in all sorts of ways. But if we've got the word of God in our heart, the number of times that I can have a conversation with somebody and a scripture will just pop in. You know, I didn't go along to have a conversation with that person thinking, oh, I'll just use that verse and that verse and I'll prepped up that one. They just pop out. They pop out because they popped in in the first place. And so I just say to you all, whatever your stage in Christian walk is, whether you view yourself as a father, as a veteran, whether you view yourself as a new convert to Christ, whether you view yourself as a young man that's fighting for the Lord, he's full of fire and vim and vigour, whatever it is, keep putting God's word into your heart. Keep walking with him. You need to do these things because if we don't, if we let our guard down, then division and hurt and damage and pain and dissension can come in. And so... It's a challenge, and so it's a very practical challenge that, that John brings in relation to, you know, we're, we're looking at this idea of loving God and God loving us and our walk with God and all these things, and then there's this bit saying, but look, just remember, you're doing all this in the context of a war and of battles. Keep going on. And so he goes into this really quite challenging little section that we're going to spend a little bit more time in. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world this is good, squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes in, on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. I think that's a lovely way of framing those verses that just helps us to realise. You know, the teaching of the scripture is God first, others second, me last. The world says, me first, me first, or me first, others, maybe, that I can stomp on. It's completely the opposite way around. We are, you remember some of you were here when we talked about, we went through a passage where we were looking at going against the tide, going against the flow, going in the opposite direction to the way that the world does. The way the world goes on a way where, you know, it's nice to be all going in the same direction, you feel comfortable, it's nice, but we're not. We're not doing that, we're going the opposite way. And that takes effort and that takes energy and that's exhausting sometimes to swim against the, the flow of the world. All the teachings and the views of the world we have to keep battling away against it. And, 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 and this whole worldview about, you know, goods are going to make me feel good about myself. Um, clothes, you know, every, everything can make me feel good about myself. Well, they're all lies. They're, they're necessities, they're things that we need. We need to eat, we need to dress. So grateful when God gives us a job and all those sorts of things. But are those things then resources that we can use for God? Or are they resources that I can use for myself? For me, me, me. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a real challenge. So there's a little thing at the bottom. Do not love the world. Don't believe the world's lies about happiness. And it's true. Because, you know, the world puts false values on everything. The, true, the truth of joy, of real love and of real joy is claiming the promises and walking in a relationship with God. Whether you're a child in Christ, whether you're a father in Christ, whether you're a young man in Christ, wherever you are in your walk, walk with Jesus, looking unto Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. Now, it's interesting, this little, this little phrase, the desire of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, 
the pride, uh, the desire of possessions. And we're going to have a little look at that and see that this pattern came out a little earlier. So we're going to go into Genesis chapter 3, and you can see... Uh, you can see the verses up there. I'll let you just read them as I talk about them. So basically, you know the story about the garden and that point when uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden and I don't know whether Eve just went off for a little while on her own or what happened there, but there came a point when she ended up having a conversation with the serpent, the devil, the power behind that serpent. And what does the serpent do? Has God said? You know, straight away. Did God actually say you should not eat of it? You know, What does the devil do? In this world, he likes to question. He likes to sometimes even use the words of God, and we're going to see that in a minute with the Lord Jesus, but he will always do it in a way that twists it to his own end. Now, the woman could have been accurately, it actually, the woman could have said, well, no, actually, we can eat of all the trees of the garden, but it didn't actually say that. God's even more gracious than that. It doesn't say you can eat of the trees of the garden. It said you may freely eat of all the trees of the garden except one. And she sticks an extra prohibition in there and says, can't touch it. God didn't say that. If you want to eat of the fruit, if you want to touch the fruit and juggle it, fine. Just don't eat it. That's all God said was don't eat the fruit. Now, you know, you're wise probably not to go and look at the tree and not to juggle it and touch it because we can see what happens when you do. Some of you that have done the Freedom in Christ course, remember there's something called threshold thinking, that when you are tempted by something, the the best thing is is to identify it very early on and get away from it quickly. You know, the classic one where... um, woman had a real eating problem and and couldn't stop herself from eating biscuits. She said, I'll just pop to the petrol station to get some petrol. I'll just pop into the shop to look at the magazines and a couple of other things. I'll just look at the biscuits. Oh, I'll just just fill them. Oh, I'll I'll just pop them in the basket, but I'm not going to buy them. And then she goes out, she's bought biscuits. Threshold thinking is the the best place is don't go to the petrol station in the first place. So I'm just saying that, you know, she put herself in a position of danger because she was talking with one that perhaps she wasn't able to deal with. And the devil is one that, you know, the only way, and it talks in the scriptures in James and other places about resist the devil, is that we use the word of God. We use the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We use these, these are the things that we have to do to deal with the devil. If we try and do it in our own strength, if we try and do it in our own way, then we are putting ourselves in a dangerous place. And sometimes we, we can't help that. We end up in those situations. But this is where, if the word of God's there, and we're going to see that in Jesus. But anyhow, got the three things. So, good for the food, desire of the flesh. So she saw this, I've used an apple because people say, I know it's not an apple, it's the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but apple's easier because I can find pictures of that. I haven't managed to find a picture of the tree of the fruit of good and evil, so I don't think anybody actually knows what it looks like. So, we used an apple. Good for food, the desire of the flesh. You know, she saw it, and she thought, mm, that could be nice, I like, look at that, that's plump, nice, ripe fruit, good, good, good. Delight for the eyes. Gosh, it looks lovely. Look at the shine on that, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And a desire, this is interesting, a desire to make one wise, that she would know good and evil. A presiding the possession, if you like, to use the context of, because we're using those words, the idea of knowledge, a knowledge about good and evil. There are people that want to find out about all sorts of knowledge and sometimes it's dangerous you know I've got got Netflix at home don't mind telling you that but I'm a bit selective about what I watch and you know sometimes if I can see a a film it's got an interesting title and I can see that actually this is going to be about the devil and devil worship and spirits and things I tend to say you know I've got a flick back button where I go back I'm not going to watch it because I'm just putting myself in a stupid position 
So you've got to be aware of these things. So she saw these things, and because of that, what happened? It says she took of its fruit. We're still okay. We're still okay. She took of its fruit. We're still okay. And ate. Oh dear. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve knew all of God was love and care and provision. And they chose to believe the lies of the devil. It's interesting that if you go to the book of Romans, it says, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all for all have sinned. Adam was held accountable for that action. Adam was given headship and authority over creation, even in that, in that positional relationship over Eve, and he didn't exercise that responsibility. And Eve did what she did, but Adam was held accountable. It's a bit scary, that. Some people have to have some responsibility. They basically ate. The, the net effect of the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes and the pride in possessions was is that they handed over creation authority to the devil. That they put themselves outside of God and the nasty stinging the tail was. You know, normally each evening the Lord would, would, would come amongst them and they'd speak and, and they'd go, oh, you know, here he is. And that day they hid themselves. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool evening and they hid themselves. They hid themselves because they were ashamed. They did not want to see him. They did not want to come into his presence because of that nasty sting, because of what the devil had done. We go to the Lord Jesus. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And you know this passage about the stones becoming bread, about showing him all the kingdoms of the world and about standing on the top of the temple and throwing himself off. So that's the passage up there in relation to It's Luke chapter 4 if you want to look at it up for yourself. So we're just going to go into it, because I'm aware of time, and I don't want to overrun, otherwise we'll be here till half past ten, and that might not be too good. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, has God, has God said? If you are... Well, one of the things that the devil does is he's, he's, he's subtle. He doesn't say... He doesn't do an outright denial sometimes, but he just puts a doubt, lobs a little doubt wedge in there, has God said, if you are, questions, doubts, all the time these attacks are there, they're so subtle sometimes, we have to be on our guard. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, remember that the Lord Jesus had been in that place for 40 days. 40, if you were to look it up, is the number of testing or uh, probation. And it's interesting that the children of Israel were 40 years in the wilderness. It's very interesting in a moment that we're going to see that the Lord Jesus quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy starts off by, I started reading it this morning as it happens, it said about they were in the wilderness. So they've come out of a place called Egypt, which can be viewed as a picture of the world, and they're in the wilderness heading to that final destination of home. And that's a bit like you and I, we think about it, that God has saved you, you belong to him. So we're in the world, we live in the world, but we shouldn't be loving the world. I'm not talking about not loving people to win them for Christ, I'm talking about we shouldn't love the world and all that it represents, because to you and I it's been spoilt to us in one sense, because we're on a journey that's going to take us eventually to heaven. For the children of Israel it was Egypt, the wilderness, crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land if you like, in literal, physical, earthly things. But for you and I, it's, we're in the world, but we're on a journey 
And in one sense, it can be like going through a wilderness. Anyhow, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You see, what did it appeal to? What was he? Hungry. His stomach was groaning. He was really hungry. Oh, a nice loaf of bread. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Something about a nice loaf of bread. The Lord Jesus, when it says, man shall not live by bread alone, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I like that because, you know, I've been banging on at you this morning about taking the word of God, feeding on the word of God, taking it into you. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in one sense, that's the bread that we really need to be feeding on, if you like, a spiritual bread. But here was the test, and the Lord responded. So the, the devil challenged him and tested him. And his, that was his response. He used scripture to deflect that temptation uh, in relation to his flesh, that he was hungry, and he'd love to have eaten, but he didn't. And it says, if you will then worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. Uh, this is in terms of the nations of the world. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So he saw at that moment the devil having that authority at this time, under God's permissive will, to have that authority, said, I'll give you everything. Because what does the devil want above everything else? He wants people to worship him, to bow down to him. If you will worship me. And he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. So the desires of the eyes, the appeal of having power and control over the nations. Wow! The desire of the eyes. And the Lord responded, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you save. You see, remember when we started reading the passage about abiding in the Father and the things that he wants rather than the things that we want. And then finally, the final little section was, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, there's the if again, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Pride of possessions. That, that You know, this, this happened again when you come to the cross. If you come down from the cross, we will believe that you are the Son of God. The devil again, attacking the Lord there. Pride of possessions, the fact that, you know, wouldn't it have been amazing that this man threw himself off the, off the thing and God, God, God was with him and protected him. He must be the son of God. And all those things going on. The Lord knew the falseness of the lies of the devil. You know, people saw Lazarus raised from the dead and it says, many believed, but some went and told the Pharisees. They saw a man raised from the dead and they still didn't believe. You can see that, 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 that it's the word of God and the truth of the word of God that we need to believe. And here the Lord responded again using scripture. Scripture is so powerful to resist the fiery darts 
of the devil. Sometimes he appears as a roaring lion. Sometimes he appears as an angel of light. Sometimes he will offer counterfeit that is so close that you can't always, if you're not careful and you don't know the word of God, you can't always just quite work out the, the little subtle differences that cast doubts upon what you believe and try to put you into something that is false. We have to be aware of these things. So, this is a challenge. Challenge for you, a challenge for me. You know, it's a daily battle. Constantly, the, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of possessions, it's a battle that I have to... You know, I'm 62 years old. You're thinking, oh, Pete, you've got it all sorted out. You know the scriptures, you quote them as left, right and centre. Must be good for you. No, it's not. It's hard for me. It's tough for me. You know, in fact, I find it even more challenging, you know, what I look at, I've got to be careful about what I see, about what my mind is capable of thinking, about what I do, about the motives for what I do. Being a Christian is an ongoing battle, day after day after day. You know, it's not that, oh, I'm a nice Christian at weekends and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I let it slip a little bit. It's a real battle to want the things of God rather than to want the things of the world. And I hope those passages have shown you that it's a, a recurring theme that goes to the Scriptures. And just like the Lord Jesus, so for you and I, we've got this recurring challenge about our lives and how we live it and what our motives are and are we bringing glory to God. And so we need to think about those things. And then this final section. Children, time is just about up. You heard that Antichrist is coming. Well, they're all over the place. Antichrist, everywhere you look, that's how we know that we're close to the end. They left us, but they were never really with us. If they'd been, they would have stuck it out with us. Law to the end. In leaving, they showed their true colours, showed they never did belong. But you belong. The Holy One anointed you, and you all know it. I haven't been writing this to tell you something you don't know, but to confirm the truth you do know, and to remind you that the truth doesn't breed lies. So the first thing we need to, to be clear in is that if we know the truth, then, then, then that sets us in a good place. I, I think, I don't know if I've said it out to you before here, but um, one, one bank used to train people to know £50 notes because they gave them real £50 notes, and all the time they were counting £50 notes. And then occasionally, they'd be so used to counting £50 notes, occasionally they'd slip a forgery in. And it wasn't the paper, it wasn't the colour. They'd be going like that and they'd go, that doesn't feel right. Oh, it's a, it's a false one. The devil will try and slip lies and dress it up in a way that makes it acceptable, makes it reasonable, makes it totally plausible, makes it totally possible for us to compromise in all sorts of ways, but it's a lie. And God's about the truth. The Lord Jesus spoke about the devil as being the father of lies. So where there's lies and, and, and falseness going on, then we need to be aware of that and be aware of the truth. So the more, like the tillers that knew what a 50 pound note felt like, the more that you can fill your hearts and your life with the truth, the more likely it is that you will pick up when something feels like a lie, it doesn't feel quite right. And then you can check it out for yourselves. So we need to know the truth, because we are in this age where we're going to, just in a moment, talk a bit more about Antichrist, those that deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in that age now, at this very time, and you need to know the truth. And in knowing the truth, my hope and prayer is that you will detect the lies. So who is lying here? It's the person who denies that Jesus is the divine Christ, 
That's who. This is what makes an antichrist, denying the father, denying the son. Jesus was a great humanitarian, wonderful man, a great prophet, good guy, all of this. And then you sometimes have a conversation with a person and say, so do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Oh, no, 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 he's a good man, he's a good prophet, he's a good this, that, and other. And this is, this is where we find out. And it's really difficult sometimes to have a conversation with somebody. You need such grace to say, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he's divine. And you know, that's either going to go two ways with somebody. When you get, if you get to that point in a conversation, they're either going to say, well, I don't agree with you, and we're going to have to just go our separate ways or, or whatever. But it's a challenge you know, we don't like sometimes being embarrassed. We don't like when there's a group of five people standing there saying, oh, yeah, Jesus, uh, he's not God, he was a great guy, or they're saying something, and you know that you need to say something in some way or another. Because they are denying the true fundamental thing that sits right down in your, deep in your heart, that you believe in the Father, you believe in the Son, and obviously in the Holy Spirit in that sense. So the English word... Antichrist is translated from the original Greek word anti-Christos. The word anti-Christos is made up of two Greek root words, anti and Christos. Anti means anti, against and opposite of or in place of. So it's against Christos, Christ, against Christ, denying Christ. We, we live in a world right now, today, where so many people deny the deity of Christ. I've gone over it and over it with you. I just want to keep hammering in. You need, as Christians, to acknowledge the deity of Christ. And if you're challenged on it, you need to be firm. Sometimes all you can do is quote the scriptures at them and just leave it, leave it, with, leave it at that. You can't always do any more sometimes. But if you have Jesus as anything less than, than God as Son, then those people are if you like, against God, denying God, or anti-Christ. Stay with what you've heard from the beginning, the original message. Let it sink into your life. If what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both Son and Father. This is exactly what Christ promised, eternal life, real life. Now, I ask all of you here, are you in the good of these things? Do you know Jesus Christ as your saviour, as your Lord, do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you have eternal life? I know you come along to church, it's lovely to see you, but deep down, just look deep down inside, is that something that is a reality in your hearts? Is it true? Is that what you believe? Is that your core belief, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And that because of that and the truth of who he is and what he did on the cross at Calvary and because he has forgiven you of your sin by dying for you, you have eternal life. Is that what you believe? Because these are core truths. These are things that we need to be sure about in our lives. It's a challenge, isn't it? And a challenge to you. Just to, you know, are you really, really in the good of these things? Do think about these things. I've written to warn you, coming to the end now, I've written to warn you about the, those who are trying to deceive you. 
but they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you. I hope that God's word, the truth of God's word is so locked into you, so embedded in your heart, in your soul, in your life, that, you're, that they're no match for what's embedded deeply within you. Christ's anointing, no less. You don't need any of their so-called teaching. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and him, uncontaminated by a single lie. We're back to the lies. Live deeply in what you were taught. And Christ's anointing guards against deception. So we come to the end of this passage. It's tough. It's quite challenging. I've had to challenge you. I challenge... When I've challenged you, I've challenged me. Everything I've said to you this morning uh, applies to me, the ongoing battle of living out the reality of what I believe in my heart, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that, that, that he is my saviour, that he died for me. And because of what he has done, I have eternal life. It's nothing of me, but it's all of him. So all the glory be to God, but be strong. Whether you're veterans, fathers, whether you're children, newly saved, whether you are young men, strong, young men or women, strong in your faith, ready to take on these things, ready to stand and to resist, whatever it is, wherever you are in your life, be guarded, be on your wall, be, on your, be, be, be warned, be aware, be aware about the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of possessions, be aware of these things. Trust yourself to God. Read his word. Walk with him. Walk with your brothers and sisters and be blessed in your most holy walk. And may God be honoured in that. Amen.